1: Hey listeners, welcome to the newest episode of the Oxygen Starved podcast, your adventure books and conversation from 11,000 feet. We hope you enjoyed our little hiatus over the holiday <laughs> and new year. It is February and we are back and raring to go this, this year. And raring with us is uh, my co-host, Stacey. Hi, Stace. Hi.
2: Hi, listeners. <laughs> Happy new year.
1: Happy new year. It? It's, well, it's yeah. February. It's, it's still new. Can
2: you still say that? I don't know. It's good to be back. It's been a minute.
1: It has been a minute. And with us, of course, as always is, is producer Doug. Hey, Doug. Hey folks. How's it going? How's it going? How
0: are
2: you I'm
1: doing? All right. Winding up, uh,
0: just qualifying for coming back to work after my little stint with COVID. Oh man. Um. Are you
1: feeling better? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm doing, doing well. Thanks. And I'm kind of happy to have finally succumbed and to not have to worry about it any longer. (laughs) At least till the new variant is out. Yeah. Right.
2: (laughs) Let's hope that's not a thing.
1: Right. I know we We, cross our fingers. I will say it's a very serious topic, but we are all at the punch drunk portion of this pandemic. And I saw a meme, maybe you guys saw it too, about how, you know, uh, so many people got this latest variant that the people like me who haven't yet gotten it, it is kind of like a big game of dodgeball, and it's thinning out, and we're on the front lines. Um,
2: so does that mean the last person left is just going to get this <laughs> gnarly case?
1: <and laughs> oh, that's great. I'm, I'm okay. I'm done laughing about it because it is serious. So uh, it is. Uh, we yeah. are all treating it very seriously.
2: Yes. And anybody out there that is going through it right now, we're thinking of you. Our prayers are with you. And, you know, we just need to have patience and let it run its course.
1: We'll make it. We'll make it. Yes. But anyway, we're here. We're back. Mm -hmm. We're excited to talk about books, right? Yes. We're yes. going to talk about, you know, Stace and I, uh, we plan out what we're going to talk about about six months in advance. And, mm-hmm. um, so we've got themes lined up for well into spring, but what we wanted to start with now, because we're coming off the holiday season is what are we reading now? What books did we get recently or maybe as gifts or what have you? Um, and so we're each just going to share a couple titles that, uh, are on our current bedside tables, right?
2: Yes and so both of the titles that I'm going to talk about I actually found on Hoopla. So if I can give a shout out to Hoopla yes. and it's a it this is a program that you can get through your through our M- 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 Mono County Public Libraries. If you have a library card, you can sign up for this app called Hoopla and you can download all different kinds of books, and Hoopla also has audiobooks and TV shows and all different kinds of things. I just use it for books. And I found two great books off of Hoopla and enjoyed them both. And they're both recent publications. Um, the first one is called Girls with Bright Futures. It's by Tracy Dobmeier and Wendy Katzman. It was published in February of last year, 2021. Uh-huh. It is pretty. So I was attracted to this book because it's about moms of daughters who are applying to colleges and I'm almost at that stage. My youngest, Tessa,
1: <laughs> right.
2: is is almost just a few months away from starting college applications. And, you know, it's, it's a big topic in our house right now. So uh, Girls with Bright Futures, these three women, they're, they are all from the Seattle area. They all live in the Seattle area. And their girls all go to an elite private school mm-hmm. and all even though the three women all have different economic statuses, all three of their daughters are applying to Stanford. And it's extremely important for these mothers mm-hmm. that their daughters get accepted to Stanford, even though it's not that important to the girls themselves. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it rotates the chapters rotate, you know, w- from each mom's perspective. And, you know, it, it gets pretty extreme, mm-hmm. you know, like to the, to the point where the competition is so stiff that the one, one of the daughters is almost murdered <laughs> one night because they think she's going to be accepted. And there's only going to be one more Stanford acceptance from this, this private school. And it gets kind of crazy, <laughs> but, um, It was extremely engaging and, and a nice cautionary tale to a mom like me to say, you know what, it's, that's not the end all be all, (laughs) you know, and you have to take college applications with a grain of salt and the whole process. So, you know, it's about the kids recognizing their dreams, not the parents'.
1: So uh, one of the reviews for this book, which was a positive review, I should say, and it's a novel, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's yes. Got two authors, but it's it's a novel. They right. sum it up saying, "Operation Varsity Blues lurks behind this bracingly vicious portrait of entitlement." Does that is that a good description? Do you think that's
2: yeah, a really good and that's a really good description? Um, yeah, and the the way that the authors go about describing this private school you know, it's just, it it rings, it hits a lot of notes, right? Yeah. It really rings true. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's as somebody like me who is in education and that's my job mm-hmm. and you know, to now to be in this situation now where as a, as a, a parent, you're seeing another side of education, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of separate yourself sometimes. Yeah. And that reading this book, it was a good, you know, it was, it was a good reminder to keep that separation, keep the distance and, you know, just be there to remember to look, you're, I need to support my kid. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's it.
1: Do you think it was written in response to some of that controversy a few years ago about parents buying their ways in.
2: Yeah. That's, that was opined in some of the, the essays and reviews on that. I read about this book after I finished it. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it was necessarily written in response to it because I think it was being written when all of this was taking place when all that, that college nonsense, you know, with USC was taking Mm -hmm. place. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, but there there was a lot of kind of over, overlap of of themes there. So, that was called Girls with Bright Futures. The other book that I found on Hoopla was published in March of 2021 mm-hmm. and it's called The Lost Apothecary. And it's by Sarah Penner. And it is also a novel but it couldn't be more different. And it is, um, not a time travel novel, but a novel that takes place in 1791 and then present day. And by present day, I mean, pre COVID. Okay. So, um, times. And so the novel starts out in 1791 and introduces an apothecary named Nella and Nella has taken over this apothecary shop from her mother who has passed Mm -hmm. and she not only provides, you know, potions and concoctions for the regular public, but there's a secret side to this apothecary where through a, a very kind of cryptic system, she makes potions and concoctions that for women who want to kill their husbands okay, or their boyfriends or their fathers or men who have caused them harm. Mm -hmm. And Nella's one rule is that, or she's got two rules. The potions can never be used to bring harm to other women. Mm -hmm. And the other rule is that the names of the purchaser and the victim all have to be recorded in her register. And so she, she does this and you, you know, the, the women come because the husbands are abusive or, you know, who the men are abusive to them or they've caused that they've broken their hearts or, you know, it's pretty legitimate reasons mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. murder somebody, okay. I guess, if there could be
1: such a thing. <laughs> right.
2: Um, in books.
1: Oh, right. Exactly. Fiction.
2: <laughs> and, um And everything's going along fine. And then one day this little girl named Eliza shows up in Nella's shop for her employer. But now Eliza becomes kind of fixated with with Nella. And this starts to cause some issues. And then you switch over to the present day. And there is a, a woman named Caroline who finds herself in London on what was supposed to be her 10th anniversary trip with her husband, but yet her husband has been unfaithful to her, which she finds out just before this trip, but she decides to go anyways. Mm -hmm. Well, in trying to figure out, you know, what she's going, what her next steps are, she comes, she comes across, I'm not going to give away too much of the plot, but she comes across a little vial with a little bear etched into it. Uh, And she decides to invest, what could this be? And as she investigates, you kind of see the nexus between the two stories. Right. And then it's kind of a, you know, one of those, not, you know, kind of a renaissance for Caroline. You Mm -hmm. know, she kind of finds herself again and processes what, you know, her, her marriage and what's going to happen with that, through, you know, as the chapters go on and as she finds out more about this apothecary and cool. all of that. So it was, I didn't see a lot of things coming. There's a big twist at the end. Okay. That I don't see how anybody could see coming at all. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't the disappoint. The author did a great job. It does not disappoint. It's just so much fun and totally takes you out of your own world.
1: You know, you and I have talked about this kind of thing before where there's two parallel tracks happening in alternating chapters, which is what you're describing eventually here. And what really works for these books is when they, when as they get towards the end, that the pace speeds up between the two storylines and the connections start to reveal. Does that work here?
2: Yeah, it definitely, it definitely does. Um, And you know, what's interesting is, and the first half of the book, I really liked the, the stories of the apothecary more, mm-hmm. the, you know, when that, when it'd be a Caroline chapter, I'd be like, Oh, okay, whatever. Yes. Yeah. You know, get through it as fast as I can. But by the end of the book, i liked like the Caroline chapters more.
1: Yeah. That's great.
2: You know, it was just interesting how the, this, how this shift in the story changed. Right. Uh, my attitude. You know, but then in the end, I just, I love the whole thing. So, <laughs> so
1: those, um, that was great. What was the
2: title again? That, that was called The Lost Apothecary, and it's by Sarah Penner. And re- great, 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 really fun novel. And it would be a fun book club read, too. There's a, there's a, it's not fluffy. There's a lot going on there.
1: Cool. That's so, awesome. And those were available on Hoopla. Were those ebooks or audiobooks?
2: I downloaded them as eBooks, but awesome. I think they're also available as audio books. So, great. um, and in the, the public, the Lost apothecary, I I've seen that like everywhere. Yeah. Um, and girls with bright futures, I'm sure is available in libraries and bookstores. So that's great.
1: Awesome. How
2: about you, Christopher?
1: Well, I'm going to like you, I'm going to very quickly touch on two books that I'm talking about. One of which I will con- just confess at the outset, I didn't finish. I love I <laughs> That's love That's okay. <laughs> thank you. I'm still working on it. You know, I love history, right? Um yeah. and so uh I found a wonderfully thick history book by Dan Jones called Powers and Thrones: A New History of the Middle Ages and it's a very encyclopedic look at that period in time um mostly in the western hemisphere but also into Asia as well, which is what attracted me to Mm -hmm. it um you know dan jones is a well-known british historian some of you will recognize the name may have seen him on um tv shows historical tv shows um he's kind of that new generation of historians who pops up in tv documentaries wearing jeans and a leather jacket right Um, (laughs) i think he has a fan club (laughs) Um, I think he has a following. Um, this book, Powers and Thrones, is getting great reviews. It's, it's almost two inches thick. So it promises wow. to be something I can spend some serious time next to the fireplace with if I right. can get to a point where I can sink into it for more than 10 minutes at a time. So um, it may, I may be reading this until June, or I may just fall into it this weekend. We'll find out. Um, I'm and enjoying it's, what it's I like.
2: it's nonfiction, right? It's not yes. historical fiction.
1: Yeah, this is, this is nonfiction, and I like both. Um, right. And I, you know, listeners have heard me say this before during this pandemic, nonfiction is sometimes what's hard for me to sink into and as much as I read it before. Um, Right. But but, uh, yeah, this is a great book. I'm recommending it without having even finished it. And in fact, you know, my 15 pound terrier who has a fondness for stealing my books when I leave them (laughs) within reach did attempt to chew through his own weight in Western history himself the other night when he managed to drag it to his dog bed when I wasn't looking. Um, It's now on a higher shelf. (laughs) It was funny because the book's almost as big as he is. Um, So that's the first book, Powers and Thrones, A New History of the Middle Ages by Dan Jones. If you're a history buff like me, we'll have the link on our webpage. The other book that I'm really excited to talk about, which I did finish, and I've been telling (laughs) a lot of people about, is Jason Mott's Hell of a Book this is fiction. This is a novel. It came out last spring. It's also not his first novel. Um, Mm -hmm. But this is the one that won this year's national book award for fiction in the fall. And the story is fairly basic. It's a, a, and I think a little bit self examining. It's the story about a writer and his adventures on a book tour. Um, But with (laughs) there's, there's, There's also this plot line about a kid who is about 10 years old and who may or may not be real, but keeps turning up on this author's book tour out of the blue at inopportune moments. (laughs) And this kid's story serves to open a window into how a young black boy with very dark skin, in fact, his nickname is Soot by his classmates, um, how that young kid with really dark black skin experiences racial issues growing up. And you know, you learn through his chapters, his parents early on train him to be quote unquote invisible, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, something we hear about from black (laughs) families, right? Training your kids to blend in and not be seen, um, Mm -hmm. which is just this common experience among families of color. But somehow as presented in this novel, the character seems to be genuinely invisible or Perhaps the kid's just a figment of the writer's active imagination, or perhaps he's connected to the victim of a police brutality case that's in the current news of the story. So.
2: And is, is this the character that keeps showing up at inopportune times? Yeah, this, this 10 okay.
1: year old kid named <clears throat> Soot. Hell of a book has been described as playful. In fact, one of the opening scenes is the writer running down a hotel hallway trying to escape a man chasing him with a hanger because it turns out the writer has just been caught by this man with his wife. Um, You know, but it's kind of humorously dealt with. By the way, you never know the name of the writer in this book. He never divulges okay. that. The topics, you know, while it's kind of playful and fun and satirical, the topics this book deals with are serious, you know, including racism and police violence, um, which inform that 10-year-old's character. Okay. It also is an examination of how people who tell these stories, e.g. authors, are expected to do so or not by society, their media handlers, and their readers. And at one point, the writer in this novel says... I am, after all, not an activist, not the kind of writer who actually says anything that might ruffle feathers. One thing my business has taught me, that stuff's murder on book sales. No, I'm none Hmm. of those things. I'm a quote, unquote, professional. And in fact, the writer goes through media training that publishers put authors through, like, you know, when you go on camera, talk about this, but don't talk about that. And it's one of the more absurd parts of this story. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the chapters alternate between the adult writer and the child sits perspective, and they, they do gather pace towards the end. It's a quick read. Um, it blends humor and satire and it's genuinely thought provoking. Many of the side characters are there to kind of put the writer in his place, which is part of the satire. And it's frequently funny. And in fact, one of the, my favorite characters is his driver named Rennie, um, who, when he first meets him, he discovers the writer went to a state college and he's, his response is, okay, I'll use shorter words. And he's, (laughs) he's always ribbing him about going to a state college through the book, um, Jason Mott's novels, some of you may have read some of his other stuff, they always seem to include a kid or a teenage character as a touchstone. And before Mm -hmm. this, he was probably most well-known for his novel The Return about an old couple who opened the door one day to find a young son of theirs who had died decades earlier has come back to visit them. And that was, in fact, made into a TV series called Resurrection by Brad Pitt's production company, I think, probably five, six, seven years ago. Mm -hmm. So some listeners may be familiar with that. That was Jason Mott as well. This book, hell of a book, which is the title. I am hmm. not cursing. Hell of a book <laughs> received. It received great reviews. It was a read with Jenna Pick last summer. I think it's going to be a great book club book. And Publishers Weekly gave it a starred review, saying it's absurdist metafiction that doesn't get any better. So, wow, um, you know, it's it's one of those books you can read, kind of like last year's uh, 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 book award winner, Chinatown. That yes. is, it's short, it's amusing, it's funny, but it. Packs a bit of a punch, and it really makes you think at the end of the day
2: is it is it told in a linear fashion like he's on a book tour, so like starts at the beginning and goes straight straight through.
1: Yeah. In, in his storyline, in the kid's storyline, there's, there's a bit of jumping around because he's giving you the backstory of the kid as well. So there's a little bit of the kid shows up on the book tour and that's in the present, but then there's another chapter about when the kid was on the school bus and got his, his nickname soot, which is, you know, in the past. Mm -hmm. So, but your brain is able, he presents that in a way that you can kind of kind of understand it. Um, and yeah. All the, all the, the characters are compelling. And by the end of the book, you just, it's one of those books where you close it and you're like, I've got to think about this for a little bit.
2: Yeah. 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 I love that when that happens.
1: <laughs> I do too. <laughs> you know, too. when the
2: characters stick with you for a while.
1: <laughs> yeah. Do you,
2: do you think this is the kind of book that's going to get optioned for, uh, you know, it seems like, every, every great book these days is getting optioned for like a Netflix mini series or something.
1: You know, I could see it happening because it, it deals with a lot of broad issues that are part of the conversation today. Right. Again, in, in, in this one, it's a lot about racism and how to act in quote mm. unquote polite society and who gets to define that. You know, you, you discover. And the writer himself discovers, as he purports through the middle of this book, that he's Mm -hmm. black, right? Um, And so, you know, and, and part of the satire here is how is a black writer supposed to handle himself? And right. there's that issue. And then the, another issue that the writer has is that he's an alcoholic. And that's also very upfront early on. He's not just okay. a womanizer. He's an alcoholic. Right. Um, and he's dealing with that as well. So, But again, it's satire. So it doesn't right. totally weigh you down too much.
2: Right. Well, but, uh, it sounds great.
1: Yeah, I thought thought it was good. So again, my two picks were Powers and Thrones by Dan Jones and then Hell of a Book, a novel by Jason Mott, which we'll make sure you can find at the library, bookstores, elsewhere.
2: And we'll put all the links in our show notes and on our Instagram page for you to find. So stick with us. We'll be right back.
0: Oxygen, a colorless, odorless reactive gas, the chemical element of atomic number eight and the life-supporting component of the air. Starved, suffering a severe and damaging lack of basic material and cultural benefits. Oxygen Starved podcast, a colorless, odorless, culture-packed, nutritious podcast considering books, describing Mono County adventure, and engaging in informative conversation with colorful Eastside Sierra locals. Download it now.
1: Welcome back, listeners, to our conversation part of the podcast, where we bring in a local from the Eastern Sierra region who contributes uniquely to our live-work lifestyle in the Eastern Sierra. And today, we are super pleased to have a colleague of ours, right, Stace? Yes, very excited. We are joined by Tammy Wynn, who is the Assistant Superintendent for Education Services.
2: Hey, Tammy. Hi, Hi, Tammy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us today on a Friday, as we
1: record this. <laughs> a beautiful Friday afternoon. Yes, when we record, yeah, um, yeah. Thanks for joining us, Tammy. So we always start these things off with you know asking our guests what their origin story is in relation to the Eastern Sierra. So, can you share with us? Are are you native? I don't know if I've ever asked you this question. Are you native to the Eastern Sierra, or or where are you from, and how did you end up here?
3: Well, I am not native, and it's always one of those questions if I can call myself local yet or not, but I moved here in uh, two thousand five so I've been here for a little while um, and I grew up in Southern California in the Orange county area in Huntington Beach, and a job actually brought me up here I've had kind of two careers i was um working for a development company when I was in college. And then I went into teaching and I was absolutely loving it. And they practically just kept hitting me on the top, uh, you know, on my head to get me to move up to Mammoth and work as a project engineer actually for them up here. And so eventually after they just kept asking and enticing me with the, uh, you know, benefits package, I gave that a shot. So I moved up here. I uh, worked as a project engineer for a while, which was um, very different work. I really, really missed education and then got the opportunity to get back into education and have been back in education ever since and happy to be back. I did, I did learn a lot, you know, you learn a lot from all of your different experiences and that there was a lot to be learned in that experience. So it was definitely a good experience, but it brought me here.
2: Tammy, when you were growing up in Orange County, did you ever occasion to come up for to the Eastern Sierra for vacation? Or when you moved here for work, was that like your first experience?
3: Um, I had been here a couple of times. I did have um, an uncle that owned a condo up here. So every now and then we'd come up and go skiing. So I was a little bit familiar with the area. Um, but certainly I had never lived in the snow and I had never experienced, you know, the joy of summer here. So... <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised.
1: What was the first role in education up here that, that got you back into the education world?
3: Um, there was a part-time position um, at the middle school. It was actually through the county office of Ed teaching opportunity at the middle school.
1: Oh, wow. That's cool. How long did you do that?
3: Um, just for that one year. And then I, I moved into this position. I know
2: talent when I see it. So, <laughs> I,
3: Like this, this woman's got it. We need to grab her while we can. Well, I was, I was doing that halftime position and still working a 75% contract as a project engineer, which was well over like teaching over 40, you know, it wasn't a typical <laughs> 40 hours or anything you put in. Um, so that was a, that was a challenging year, but that was right as the market fell out and, you know, things were getting a little weird. So I'm super happy to get back into education, and I, you know, even in this position, I, I missed kids. <laughs> <So> <laughs> those are my those are my favorite times when I get to work, to work with the students.
1: Well, tell us a little bit more about your current role. What does the soup, the assistant soup for for education do?
3: So. We support our districts as kind of our number one um, priority here at the County Office of Ed, as well as some of our community programs. But as the Assistant Superintendent of Educational Services, I basically support all of our programs from preschool through adult ed um, that serve uh, the districts and our our community uh, areas. And for the most part, as long as it doesn't specifically involve Special education services because we're lucky enough to have an assistant soup that handles that purview as well. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's really a pretty mixed bag of, of what I support. Um, and being in a small county office of ed, uh, the um, pro and con of that is that I get to really be hands on in kind of all of those areas. Um, so I get to be a jack of all trades and and then the con part is probably a master of none. But <laughs> um, my favorite part, um, for instance, last night, we, we do student events. So we have a spelling bee, mock trial, science fair, and math counts um, that we generally get to do each year. Of course, it's been a little bit different with the pandemic and having to cancel or go virtual. Last night, we had our science fair and we did it virtually. Um really works out great. It's always nice to be in person, but the students did an excellent job. and it was just so fun to see their passion and just the unique abilities of of the students. So we are continually trying to grow those types of programs and encourage um, you know members of the public, anybody who has a passion for working with students or a passion for any of the certain content areas to get in contact with us because we love to set up mentorships and, and things like that for our students.
1: How, how many kids participated in the virtual science fair?
3: So last night we had, it was four projects, but five students because we had right. one that was a pair of students. Awesome. Um, and that actually was great because our school fairs were supposed to occur just as some of these, you know, closures and challenges with the pandemic occurred. So we did have those students were all just coming to us on their own, wanted to finish out their projects and be able to present them. So that's awesome. Yeah. So as we
2: were coming through this pandemic, what was the greatest challenge for you and your role as we navigated through this weird time?
3: I think the, The biggest challenge for me was really seeing how difficult this has been for everyone from all the different perspectives. And just there's really no right answer, right? What's the Mm -hmm. best thing? How can we be of the, the most support? How can we really make things better? And it's just such a challenging time from all the different perspectives and for everyone involved. And certainly, you know, I'm a people person. So, um, You know, not being able to go out in person and do trainings and and support different things, you know, in person, like I usually am able to do and and really coordinate services has been has been hard. Yeah. Well, you you're handling it very well. Doing a great job.
2: (laughs) Well, one one more question about your role. You 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 mentioned you support the community schools. Mm -hmm. Um, That's part of your role is to oversee those. I'm guessing many of our listeners aren't familiar with what community schools are. So could you share uh, with us um, about how those work and what their role is?
3: Sure. So we currently have two locations, one in the north of the county in Colville and one here in Mammoth Lake. So we have two classrooms and we have two teachers that support those classrooms and then a principal that supports the program as well as our um Office school secretary, and that those classrooms are really for our students that, for whatever reason, and it it truly is a variety of reasons um, that the comprehensive high schools just have not been the best fit or the most successful option for those students. So, thankfully, we're able to provide another option. So, if students. Um, as I mentioned, for whatever reason, aren't getting enough credits along the way, it's not looking like they're going to be successful to graduate from high school or even at an earlier time during junior high, Um, or again, it's it's just not a good fit for their families or their schedules or what might be happening in their lives, then we have the option to bring them into a slightly, you know, much smaller environment um, and hopefully provide a little bit more individualized support and to make sure that those students have just another another place to try another set of caring individuals to help support them make sure their families get what they need and that we can really kind of hold their hand a lot of our students um, their goal is to get back to their you know their standard or comprehensive high school and so we support them in that goal some of them want to be able to finish early and move on you know, to um, job training programs or college, you know, programs, and so we can support that as well. And some stay with us and graduate directly from our high school.
1: That's marvelous. I, I wanna give a, a shout out to one aspect of what you oversee, Tammy, that is physically near and dear to me, and that is your adult education program. You know, we had that space. If you walk into the Mammoth Lakes Library, the, the community room off to the left is the adult education center. And in that, you know, You in a normal year, (laughs) you guys are (laughs) packed with language learning classes and um, continuing ed classes, some of which are just open to the general public, I believe. And my favorite, I think, from the COVID times was you guys did a, I believe it was a carpentry class remotely, which I thought was just fantastic. So, you know, kudos on that.
3: Yes. My, you know, my, my hope is that as challenging as the pandemic has been, we've, we've learned some things, right? We've had to become flexible and there we have found ways that have actually been more beneficial for some of our communities, some, some of our students, some of our families. So that is one thing that we did during the pandemic. We, anything that we can support parents in supporting their students in their education or support adults in, um, their jobs. So if it's going to be helpful towards a job or career, it's something we can support an adult head. So- it's really a fun program because as things come up we think, oh this is a little niche for you know the mountain they could use workers that have these skills we can design a class um, so if anybody has ideas pass them along um, <laughs> because we we love to come up with interesting things you know like that and um, we did we had a great program it was all done virtually it worked out no one was injured it was great We got <laughs> set of tools together and you know figured out how can we do this and and maintain you know responsibility and safety and people are learning in a in a fun and a safe environment and um our our teacher did an amazing job with that (laughs) and our program director as well and so we were able to continue providing services at a time where it was it was really challenging to figure out how we might do that but it was it was all about you know basic um basic carpentry and fix it type skills you know what things you might need to be able to do at home and also then build skills that would be helpful for you know for job opportunities all all over town um and we also do welding when when we're in person we have a welding course for that same in that same vein same teacher so it's some wonderful opportunities
1: so we encourage our listeners, if you're at all interested, keep an eye on the adult ed space. I was personally jealous when I saw the battery powered hand saws going into these packets <laughs> to be delivered around the county. So um, maybe I'll take up welding at some point. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, and I will, to keep your record of nobody being hurt, I will stay out of those classes so you, uh, you can maintain your pristine record. <laughs> With everything you do, Tammy, and, you know, you have such a busy job, um, but what do you like to do when you're not working?
3: Well, I try to get out as much as I can. We live in such a beautiful area. I have a gorgeous view from my office, which is challenging <laughs> at times. <laughs> yeah. um, so I just, you know, I try to get outside. Um, my kids are at that age, you know, where they definitely keep me busy, but, um Challenging them to get outside and not be on video games all the time, they're very very active um in things, but when it's you know not practice time or or one of those things, it's getting us all outside and having fun. I love to hike um always look forward to hiking season for sure
2: and you're you're very crafty,
3: I have yes. to say you're very artistically <laughs> talented you mean that in
2: the right way <laughs> yeah no, i do i artistically talented. <laughs> Can you share some of what you're, what you've
3: been up to lately? Uh, Well, (laughs) I think most recently it's been, you know, things that need to get done around the house, you know, we (laughs) we recently moved. So it's little, little projects around the house. I do like, I do like to do fix it projects and those things. So, um, and then, but also, you know, I love to sew and I do love to do pretty much all, all kinds of crafts and painting and things like that. So when I can, steal away a little bit of time. I do like to do that. Most of my sewing lately has been masks <laughs> because <laughs> it's the world in which we live in, but you know, sewing, is sewing, I do enjoy doing it, but I, I have, have lots of interests and not enough time. <laughs> I, always, I always love to learn new things. Really it's, I love to learn new things. I, I always wonder about that.
2: You know, people that say, Oh, I just don't, you know, I, I don't have any, you know, time to do you know whatever but you've got to make time for that you know it's not
3: take joy in the time that we have right yeah when my kids were younger they enjoyed sewing with me and things so at least when they're they're older they'll be able to you know hem a pair of pants or (laughs) fix something that needs to be fixed but I used to enjoy it for that reason because they would they would you know come try to get involved and we could do it together right do they, yeah. like,
1: do they like getting outside with you guys too? Are they, are they becoming hikers and skiers and all that?
3: They, um, yeah, I mean, they're both definitely busy. They, um, between soccer and skiing and snowboarding and now hockey this year as well. Um, you know, that's, what's great about living here. I find, you know, cause I still have family that lives, you know, in more the city type area and our kids, it's great. They can do a little bit of everything, you know, unless they get really, really involved in one of the sports, our our windows are short. Right. But that means mm-hmm. they get to do a little bit of everything, and I just yeah. think that's great. Yeah. to have I, that I experience. Love,
2: I love watching your little one play hockey. That's like <laughs> one
3: of my favorite. I that's one of the things I like to do in my spare time. <laughs> That's what's so great about living in a, in a small town is, you know, watching everybody's kids grow up and really being yes. like family to support each other. And, um, yeah, I don't know, you know, my older one started playing hockey this year. And when you start playing hockey, when you don't know how to ice skate at 13 and it's you're different. my family <laughs> size, which is small. And then you go look and you're like, uh, those are adult men on the, <laughs> on the ice, <laughs> with their pads and their skates <sighs> on it. it's a little intimidating, but. He got in there and they just, you know, improve every time they're out there. It's amazing. And the coaches have just been great. And again, I think a, a benefit you wouldn't have in a larger area. Right
1: that's awesome. Yeah.
2: It is nice that all of our kids, anything they want to do, they can do because it's a small pool Mm -hmm. and they all get to at least try and have the experience. And I, I, I agree with you. I think that's one of the huge
3: advantages of raising kids here. Yeah. Yeah. And the encouragement and support has just been amazing. So, so thankful to everyone around my kids and, you know, around us.
2: Well, so Tammy, we always ask in our conversations with our guests by asking, what are you reading now? So can you share that with us?
3: Sure. I am currently reading um, two different books For on, on the professional side. I'm reading the book Coaching for Equity um, and The Daily SEL Leader, mm-hmm. which is Social Emotional Learning um, mm-hmm. that SEL stands for. But on the um, personal side, it's a book-ish discussion. But um, <laughs> I, when I was younger, one of my favorite book series was um, the Anne of Green Gable series by Ellen Montgomery. Um, yeah. And being a redhead and always talking too much... <laughs> being told constantly in my parent teacher conferences that your daughter talks. She's a joy to have, but she just, you know, she just talks too much. Those, those books just, if you, if you know the books, um, they're just about this hilarious character um, that I, I think just resonated with me. And recently I found, it's a few years old, but I, it was new to me um, on Netflix. There's another series called Anne with an E and just have so been enjoying Watching that series with my family and and remembering the books and you know that the memories I have of reading with my mom and you know just being younger and all of those things. There's been quite a few movies and TV takeoffs of those books, but I really enjoyed this this new one.
2: Is it pretty?
3: I I love. Oh, sorry, I I love
2: those books.
1: (laughs) I think a lot of us read them. You know, when we were kids. I remember reading them and also some of the earlier adaptations, but I haven't heard about this one. And with an E, is it, is it really true to the book or is it kind of Netflixy and then it takes a different spin or,
3: you know, I would say it's a little bit of both, but it's pretty true to the character and the shenanigans that she gets into. I really, really enjoyed it. And I, I love to do that. I I have this thing with my kids will, you know, be reading a book or I'll know they'll be reading a book and they see the mood, you know, they see that there's a movie out there. And I'm like, no, 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 you cannot watch mm-hmm. the movie yet. Got to finish the book. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, being the, the teacher I am, you know, my kids roll their eyes or whatever, but we have to have a whole discussion, right. About, well, which did you like better and why? How were they different? How were they <laughs>
2: <laughs> Do a T-chart <laughs> right now.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I'm always quite pleased that usually they're pretty disappointed with the, um, the movie you know they cut that part out that part was important you know or that's not how i saw the character at all i think you know to me and you can you can go either way certainly but to me it's that imagination you're you're imagining the character and what they should look like and then yeah. you know a director casts them differently and <laughs> it's it's an yeah, interesting or they take
2: another turn oh. and it- you know, the plot goes a different way, but I I'm, I'm with you. I, and I've always been this way, you know, when my kids were younger, you have to read the book before you see the movie. And I think, I think we've done like this huge disservice to young kids by making movies of all the popular books that they like, you know, and can can we just, you know, can we wait just a couple of years maybe before
3: we make the movie and, I just think it must be so hard for the screenwriter and the producers and the directors because you always have to cut so much. Yeah, you know, most most uh, unless they're taking like a short kid story or something and expanding it into Mm a movie, but that's got to be a challenging, challenging job.
1: Well, maybe it'll be a gateway for some viewers to become readers of those books. I mean, Anne of Green Gables is still read today and still adapted for TV today for a reason, right? There's there's some really Mm -hmm. timeless. Qualities and timeless issues in these in these books that are still still relevant today. You know, yeah. especially for kids who I think grow up in the country because it's set mm-hmm. in Eastern Canada, right? Mm-hmm. Is it Prince Edward Island or somewhere out? US? Yes, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I can definitely see why it's it's still. I'll have to check out Anne with an E on Netflix. I've got a list of things to binge. <laughs>
3: Yes, for sure. It is definitely worth it. And I really enjoy, I mean, it's getting to the point of historical fiction as well. Mm-hmm. Right. And, yeah. and learning about, you know, what the past would have been like and why there are some, some topics in there that are still mm-hmm. relevant today, but handled in a very different way right. because of the, yes. time, the time period of yeah. the set. So it's yeah. good for discussion as well. Mm-hmm. It's Absolutely. Great.
2: Well Tammy we will we will put all of the links to the books that you shared in our show notes and we thank you so much for taking time away from your very busy work and home life to be with us today so thank you very much and thank you listeners for joining us for another episode of the oxygen starved podcast please remember to check us out on instagram at o2 starved or our facebook oxygen starved podcast.com uh, we hope you've enjoyed this episode and you'll join us again soon so enjoy the beautiful weather and take care
0: Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Star. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. In Competech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.